You're listening to WO Voices, a podcast series from Women in Optometry magazine. I'm Marjolyn Bailefeld, editor of Women in Optometry. We're delighted you can join us. Welcome. We're here with Dr. Sarah Vargai. Dr. Vargai owns Nova Optique and Eye Care in Arlington, Virginia. And we're going to talk about the perennial issue that optometrists face in hiring and and retaining staff. Dr. Vargai, I understand you're you've been at work at cracking some of the codes that work for you. I'd love to hear more about that. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah, so I feel like in this day and age, it's very difficult to even get people to show up to interviews. So you, we set up time um, out of our busy days to just kind of meet people. And um, I've been in that position where people just don't show up. So I've tried to keep that from happening. And so I've done a couple of things, which may be arduous and time consuming in itself, but it kind of keeps those people who are not serious about the position wasting our times more. Um, so what I've kind of done is broken it up into different parts of the process, the interview process. So what I like to do is first post the, you know, a position availability, and mostly I've used Indeed, which has been successful. But sometimes I ask reps if they know of anyone that is looking for a position, and they bring it. We brought on some people from that um, route. But in, in on Indeed, I have tried to be very open about the position and try to be as detailed as possible. Um, I feel like people who are not in this field don't know what really goes into the positions we have to offer. And so I do try to be as detailed as possible in that regard. Um, as far as looking at the resumes, I try to look at the um, type of experience they have. Um, I want it to be more towards retail, but also if they do have a medical background, I do look at that as well. Um, I also look at any grammatical or spelling mistakes on their resumes. <laughs> I think that says a lot about how detail-oriented someone is going to be. Um, the people we we bring on, um, they do need to be detail-oriented. So that's important. Um, and then I also look at how long they've been at each position previously. I don't want someone who's a job hopper um, that's going to come in. It takes a lot of effort and time on our part to train someone. And so if that's going to happen, I just kind of, uh, I want to get rid of that from the beginning. And then also where they live, location matters, um, especially where we are, traffic is a huge problem. And so I don't want someone coming from 30 miles away when it's really going to take about an hour or longer with traffic. So um, I try to look at that as well and not put someone in that position. Um, so those are the types of things I look at when I look at the resumes. And then I try to do a phone call, just a five minute phone call. And I actually message them to give them two different time slots, usually within a day or two. And I also ask them to give me their phone number. And usually, um, even though their phone number is listed on Indeed, this is a good way to check to see if they're reading the entire message and how detail oriented again they are. Um, and so I see how prompt they are in responding. That usually shows they're serious about the job. Um, and if they haven't responded within a couple of days, I just kind of, you know, disregard that person. Um, during the phone interview, I again, it's a five-minute call. 
I try to tell them the entire process of the interview. And the process involves a five minute phone call. So we kind of get to know each other and determine if it's good, a good fit for both. Um, then I say that we do a video interview, which is more of a 30 to 45 minute interview, more in depth. And then I bring them into the office and I meet with them and the other staff meets with them. I actually have them talk to the other staff to see what they're gonna get into. And between then and the actual meeting in person, I do a background check and have them provide three professional references. Mm -hmm. So the video interview, um, that is more of the strengths, what, you know, kind of accomplishments they've had, how organized they are and things like that and what their long-term career goals are and if this is gonna be a good fit for them. Um, in person, I bring them back, we do a tour of the office. And again, they meet with the other staff without me being there. So they kind of get a good feel of what the office is like and how it's run. Right. And I do actually call the references because I've had several people that have given me bad reference. Like they've told me to call someone and the other person has, has not said good things about them. Mm. So I've kind of gotten the feel that, you know, I, I do need to call just to get the full story. So how important is optical experience or optometric practice experience to you? Actually, I feel like it's a downside if someone has experience, because sometimes they have a lot of uh, kind of um, bad habits that they're going to continue and it's harder to break them of those habits. I found that what I need is someone with a good personality. They're positive and they're going to be respectful of our patients. I can't really teach someone that. Anything optical related, we can really teach. Um, so I do go through a process of trying to train them through that. But for me, I found that it, I've been more successful with people who haven't had experience than that who have. One thing that you, you said that I think is interesting is that you tend to avoid the job hoppers, but the, the Gen Zs and the millennials are job hoppers. Uh, I was looking at a, a story in Fast Company that says that 92% of uh, Gen Z folks with master's degrees don't stay put in a job for long. Is that a factor, especially in, in the DC metro area where you know the, the hiring is uh, so so rampant? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a factor that I take into account. Uh, obviously, if someone's a student or you know they're moving locations, that's a factor or if they're going from one different, completely different industry to a different one, that's another factor. They may have not liked something, but for someone to go from, let's say one pharmacy to the next pharmacy to the next pharmacy, you know, what is it about these jobs that they're not seeing fit or is it that they're not fit for that position? And mm -hmm. so I question that a little bit. So um, again, I look at that to see what is the you know underlying factor that they're job hopping in a way. Right, right, that's interesting. So when you bring on somebody who does not have that optometric or optical experience, do you feel like you have a, a an efficient way of bringing that person up to speed? Yes, so I've kind of divided it into three different parts, the roles we have. We, 
since we are a small team, I do like to cross train everybody. So I do eventually want everyone to kind of get to know everything, but be masters in one part. And so I try to, I think the most important aspect is to being able to answer the phone um, and just kind of greeting patients. So the front desk is a role in itself that I do bring in someone and we do have Right now, there are more documents, Google Docs, that we have that goes through the process. But I usually have them shadow someone for a week at the front desk to see how the process is. Then I kind of bring them back and try to role play with them, go through phone calls, go through the process of what the different um, eye exam types are, what they would be scheduled for, triaging and um, pricing and things like that. So I go through that process with them and just kind of so that they're not in it, but they're kind of role playing it and they're getting comfortable with it. And then I try to kind of, in a way, throw them in the deep end and actually have them seated, but with someone next to them that has the experience and they can guide them through it. So that front desk, I think, can sometimes be, it seems the simplest, but it can be the hardest. Um, just because every day, you know, the questions that might be asked over the phone by patients can be very different that we can't really predict. And so that, I have people kind of start off with that and go from there. The next step is usually the pre-testing and the special testing. So again, I would have them shadow, and then they would practice on us, the staff, and and then be able to practice on the patients by with someone next to them being able to troubleshoot, and then you know be on their own. And then the third one is sales. Um, you know that's probably one of the toughest because you have to really know the lenses, the frames, and all that sort of stuff, and that can be the hardest. And um, also adjusting glasses. So um, we kind of I've broken it up into those three different pieces so that someone isn't overwhelmed by it all and they can kind of master one thing at a time. Our, um, I guess, not hiring process, but onboarding is really 90 days. You have 90 days of, you know, being able to do all this. So I feel like that is enough time to kind of get to know the basics of all that and, um, you know, be able to be reviewed at the end of the 90 days and see how they're doing with that. Mm -hmm. Since you've started doing this, or have you have you noticed that you are able to hire people who are more dedicated or who, who you're able to retain? Yes. So I think this, I've, I've realized this does help in kind of weeding out people who are not going to be serious um, people about coming in. Um, or just aren't as dedicated to the job. Um, I've had patients, or I'm sorry, staff, as soon as I say that I'm going to do a background check, you know, they already know they may not pass it, so then they're out. So it kind of uh, keeps from wasting my time and their time, um, knowing that that's going to happen kind of thing. So, um, so yes, I have found that. But we do still have people coming in and they may not last as long um, just because maybe they didn't understand how deep the work can be. Um, so we do have it. But I truly believe it limits the number of people that are, you know, leaving the job after they've started kind of. Right. Right. And how, how old is your, your practice, Dr. Darling? It's three years old. 
Okay. So those are those are tough years, uh, you know, at the start because you're you're kind of figuring out also as the as the owner where how many people you need, where you need them, when you need them, and things like that. It's been hard, yes, and trying to get it. So it's kind of like a almost puzzle, always trying to get the right people in the right places, the time, right time of the week, and all that. But I feel like it's always evolving. Um, as the pandemic has shifted, or it's, I don't know if it's gone, you can say, but um, our busy times have changed too. So then, you know, you have to staff the right number of people at the right time. So that's been kind of difficult at times too, but um, it, it's been, it's been super helpful. And again, it, we have a lot of over um, turnover of staff happening. So um, it, it's been kind of nice to be able to get the system in place to be able right. to do this a little bit quicker. Right. And is, that just a function of today's job market that there's turnover in staff? I believe it is a little bit because as we saw the, uh, you know, everyone kind of, they, if they don't like someplace, they can find a job somewhere else. And I found a lot of people can work from home and we cannot offer that and I cannot compete with that. So that's part of it. But also I think in the market I'm in, um, it's very transient. So I do find that you know, maybe someone will work here for a year and their family will, will move or someone will move. So it's difficult to really depend on people, you know, long term. Um, mm -hmm. It's just part of the nature, I think, of living here. So um, that has been part of it, I think. I think there is one thing I've noticed is we used to think that, you know, that I think previous generations, people just wanted a stable job, a stable pay. And that was it. And obviously not getting abused in the job market. But I think there's more to it now. People do want to enjoy where they come into work. Culture does matter. And I've had actually people leave after a week just because they didn't like how maybe structured it was almost too structured. Like it wasn't fun anymore to be here. And I've kind of had to switch the way I have done the training just because I want it to be more enjoyable and not as strict maybe. Um, so I have tried to do more team building like dinners and just kind of outings just to help people feel like they're part of the team and enjoying mm -hmm. where they come to work. And I do try to have one-on-ones with the staff just to see how they're doing you know, we're not robots. Um, we do have emotions and feelings and it does matter, even though I tell them, the staff that, you know, they don't need to be best friends, but they do need to have a good relationship with each other because I do believe it extends to the patient care. Patients can pick up on that as well. And so I do want them to get along. So there has been times where we've had to relieve some friction between staff members. Um, and that's part of it, you know, because it's people and everyone's different. There's different personalities involved. Um, so that's been a little bit of a challenge as well, trying to get the right people in the right place, but also make sure that they feel comfortable being here, kind of. And, and how big is your staff? Right now we're up to four, um, but I've found that because we're open six days a week um, and long hours, retail hours, 
I do need about three people each day at all times. And so I ideally think five would probably be better just to have days off and things like that. Because again, with six season, you know, flu season, people are out. And so you do need coverage and things like that. So I do feel like the more staffing, the better. Obviously, there's a fine line, you don't want too much and not, you know, <laughs> payroll then becomes uh, uh, an issue. So yeah. So do you, are you a, a monitor of spreadsheets? I mean, do you kind of see, is your, is your staffing based on their perception of how busy they are? Is it based on your revenue? I mean, how do you kind of say, ah, it's time to add somebody? It's when I feel like I'm answering the phone because there's not someone at the front desk or I'm dispensing. I shouldn't be doing that. And I've actually had patients, they recognize my voice and they say, oh, why are you answering the phone? Then I know we're understaffed. Right. Um, so I feel like there's constantly, we're in a retail space. So we do have people that just walk in to browse. And so I feel like we need to have someone for that. We have um, on-site edging. So someone's edging for, you know, so we do need to have enough coverage for that and someone answering the phone. So I kind of look at that and see where, you know, it's necessary. So that's the times I, I feel like it's, you know, we're understaffed kind of. That's a, that's a good rule of thumb, a very practical one. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and especially if it's not just because somebody called in sick that day, but it's a, right, you know, right. a, the, the whole, the whole right. week or the, right, exactly. Do you have exit interviews with people who leave? At times I have had it where it's been kind of planned. So I, you know, I, I try not to do it with someone who's disgruntled because that's not going to really say much, I feel like, but someone who's moving or they went to a different job market, you know, um, I have had it and I kind of try to ask, um, you know, and I tell them to be completely honest with me and, you know, I'm not going to have any feelings hurt, but how could I do things differently to manage? Um, that they would kind of enjoy their job better. And so I have had some uh, feedback from staff about that, you know, how they might have not felt treated fairly when one person was told one thing, but they were, they felt like they were treated differently kind of thing. So, so it does make me mindful of that in a way. Mm -hmm. How has your culture changed over the three years that you've been opened? Because I, I think even if you expect to open with a certain culture on day one, you know, it's, it's hard to cultivate that. It is, it is. So I think um, the bringing in the staff to kind of meet each other, that's been nice because they can tell me how they feel about it and they feel like they have a say in who's, in, you know, um, joining the team. At the beginning, I felt like the first three people I brought in, I actually, they did not get along. <laughs> and so that that felt kind of odd at times. Um, since then, with them meeting each other, it has gotten a little bit better in that sense. Um, and like I said, I did have the outings. I felt like that was more team building. It did help a little bit. Um, one thing I've noticed is kind of a balancing act is I've, I've um, I guess, I made someone an, a manager, office manager at this time, so promoted her. And I feel like that brings in a different dynamic. Um, so that changes the culture a bit as well. Um, you know, 
at times I feel like she is, she, she wants to take things off my plate, obviously help me kind of in a sense, but she might not manage it the same way I would. So that makes it difficult. Um, so that's kind of been a little bit challenging in a way. So, um, so those are the things I'm trying to kind of balance out to where it's, you know, the happiest it can be for everyone involved. Right. Because that's a whole different level of training, right? To, to be a manager in your mold, you know, not mm -hmm. just uh, the manager by, by task list or something. Yeah. Yes. Yes. That's, that's great. Well, um, so are you actively searching for another employee now? I am. I, I feel like by the time I probably hire someone else, I don't know if someone's going to drop down to part-time or something. So it's always changing. So mm -hmm. I, I am currently for a part-time person, actually. That's a good point because it's, it's hard to gear up and down, you know, so mm -hmm. I imagine that's a good strategy because there is fluctuation within the year, within within seasons so that it's nice to have that pool of, of employees to, to call from, move somebody from part-time into full-time, move somebody from full-time into part-time if that's what they want and still be able to keep them. You know, trying really hard to crack that code, <laughs> how to do marketing, how to bring in more patients and all that. Dr. Vargai, I know that we spoke when you first opened your practice. It's so nice to visit with you again and hear that things are going well and that in this competitive market, especially in that DC metro area, that uh, you're making inroads and finding ways to, to develop a, a staff that is there to support you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for being here. Thank you for listening. I hope you join us again on WO Voices. If you'd like to be a guest on the series, please send us an email at wovoicesonline at gmail.com, through our website at womeninoptometry.com, through Facebook at WO Magazine, or through Instagram at WomenODs. See you next time.